This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we are we are very lucky to have a, uh, a prominent member of the Jurassic Park community here with us on the show. We have Jay Jurassic here. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm happy to be here, guys. Um, I love the show. I've been listening for a while. It's great to be here. It's re- it's really great to have you on. You contacted us a few weeks ago, and uh, you know wanted to wanted to come on, and uh, we're really happy to have you here. But for some of the members out there who uh, maybe don't know who you are and what it is that you do, uh, could you explain real quick, uh, basically, uh, why you are a, a prominent member of the Jurassic Park community? Well, I'm a huge Jurassic Park fan. Been one since uh, I was six years old. Been uh, collecting Jurassic Park memorabilia for since around then. I have. Uh, huge collection and that's pretty much where it's it's started out with this like being known in the community by just posting pictures of my collection then um i start i I had a little podcast appearance on brad's jurassic park podcast he liked how i talked about the collection whatnot then i started doing my own segment and now i'm i'm a contributor onto that and but it's mainly my collection that got me to this like <laughs> been known around the community because I because I've been collecting so much. I'm a huge collector. That's awesome. Now, um, you actually have a portion or a segment on Brad's uh, Brad Jost's podcast, the Direct Park Podcast. It's called Amber Fines. I, I, I love that name, Amber Fines. Where, where, you know, how'd you come up with that? Me and Brad had to, uh, after I had that appearance. Me and Brad had talked. Um, it was his idea to have me do a segment since I had such a broad collection and and I showed so much passion for collecting and I have and I have such a passion for the franchise in itself he had thought of this idea and I was thinking of names and and I was like well you know something that it was is very valuable in the Jurassic Park like lore is amber because that's where they're getting the DNA from a lot of like collecting and some of the items that I've had that I have are somewhat rare and some of them are uh, it, it was a journey to get them and um and I've been collecting them for such a long time, so they're very special to me. So they're almost like each one is a piece of amber with d- dinosaur DNA in it. Like, it's very important to me. So it's like every one of them that I find is a new amber find that I show up with and I talk about it. So you yeah. said you've been collecting Jurassic Park memorabilia since you were six years old. Uh, what is the most, I would say, valuable to you, the piece of your collection that means the most to you, like your white whale almost? What out of your whole collection is your favorite piece? Out of my whole collection, um, it's it it probably would be the the red rex. Even though red rex is not rare in a sense, but it is so special to me. I have the logo of it tattooed on my arm, uh, the JP awesome. 9 Yeah, that's how special it is. I, I love that that T Rex. It, it was like back in that back in those in the nineties, dinosaur toys were very small, and you never got a dinosaur that size. And when that Red Rex came out, it was it was amazing. And like I remember just like salivating when I saw like the picture <laughs> in, in, in in like the little catalogs that you would get from Kenner and I was like, Oh my god, I, I need that dinosaur and and it's she's been there ever since, like on my shelf and if I would go most valuable it would be my Amber Chrome edition 
of the Jurassic Park comic book. It's a somewhat rare comic. It's it's the simple ones that I if I just sat here and really named simple ones that I have, I'd just go on forever. But it's the simple pieces that have like memories that are most special to me. You know, it's awesome when a franchise can hit someone like that. It's so special to them. Well, I tell you what, uh, do you guys want to go ahead and get into the minute? Yeah, let's go ahead yeah, and hop sure. in. In the previous minute, we saw that the raptors have developed the ability to open doors. As the minute ended, two raptors entered the kitchen. At minute 110, Lex sees that the raptors are looking for them. Lex looks back at Tim and whispers for her to follow him. They both crawl across the kitchen floor as the raptors look for them. At 110.07, Lex crawls around the corner of a cabinet. She sees where the raptors are and tries to stay out of their sight. At 110.20, we cut to a shot of raptor feet walking. The raptor stops and taps its massive claw on the floor. The raptor looks around as Lex and Tim stay out of sight. The raptor spins, causing its tail to knock over a stack of pots and pans. The cookingware falls onto where Tim and Lex are as they scramble to get away. Tim rounds a cabinet just as the raptor sticks its head through the gap. He is out of the sight. The raptor pulls its head back as Tim takes a big breath. A few seconds later, a soup ladle falls to the floor, making a loud clang when it hits. At 1.10.51, both raptors stand up straight and look in the direction of the ladle. They spin and make their way towards the sound. At 1.10.55, Tim crawls out of sight as one of the raptors jumps into a counter. And thus ends Minute 110 of Jurassic Park. So out of a movie that consists of tense, uh, kind of tense sequences, I think that this one might be the most tense out of everything. It's got, uh, uh, you know, closed confined spaces, children in peril, and, uh, you know, horrible man-eating dinosaurs on the prowl. So this is definitely like, it's, you know... We've we've talked a lot about the visual aspects of this movie, the Stan Winston designed, uh, you know, uh, animatronics in the movie, you know, the the CGI that uh, looks so amazing. But one thing that I I think we could cover on every episode and still not get across how genius it is is really the sound design in this movie, and you really get it on full display here. The previous uh, couple of minutes, there's not a whole lot of music. It's just kind of you hear the raptors and the kids there. We get a little bit of like, you know, kind of light music going through this. But the thing that really, I think, brings this, this, these next two minutes we're going to be talking about is the lack of dialogue, uh, the kind of like sign language almost that the kids are giving each other, and then the sound design on the raptors in this sequence. But uh, yeah, Brady, what, what are your thoughts on this minute? No, absolutely. Um, it's th- th- This film offers intensity like no other film does in many different levels uh you know the t-rex attack is something that every time i see to this day just commands your attention and my stomach gets tight it's such a tense moment and uh and yet you can get it in something like this where you're being hunted by something and this is what i think makes the raptors the perfect antagonist and the perfect antagonist for this movie is the fact that they're as big as you and they can get into a room whereas you know the tyrannosaurus rex uh can't and we have seen multiple times and we've been told multiple times how cunning and how intelligent these things are, like more so than a human to some degree. And so to have them sneaking around and using their sense of smell and their sense of calling each other, be it through tapping their claws on the floor, uh, mm-hmm. almost almost like sequentially, like a, a Morse code or something like that, like, hey, they're to the left or whatever that would be. And then you get such a payoff. They're acting so stealthily and so quiet and still and so coordinated and then when it's time to pounce, it's time to pounce. And they actually use uh, dolphin sounds is what the sound designer used. So it's that culmination of everything that gives it that intensity. But I, like you were saying, I think the thing that makes it the most tense is that stillness. It is that quiet, uh, the kids trying to be as quiet as they can. And even when you hear their hands uh, on the floor and their shoes and their knees kind of tapping on the floor, it just you're like, oh, shut up. Just 
come on, you know, like, <laughs> oh, God, it drives me crazy every time. It, even you can hear the kids' hands and stuff kind of tapping on the floor as they crawl, and you can't hear the raptors' feet. So even in yeah. that regard, the raptors are, like, smarter than they are. And, uh, and you know, as always in this film, when, when they really wanted to get peril across, they put kids in the mix, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, Jay, you were, did you say that you were six years old when you saw Jurassic Park for the first time? I actually was seven when I saw it. It's six when I, like, got infatuated with Jurassic Park. But I didn't get to see it in the movie theater. Ah. I got to see it um, on VHS in my cousin's basement <laughs> on, a, like, a tiny TV. That was the first time I ever saw it. Uh, I was going to ask, being a seven-year-old, uh, seeing this for the first time, was, was this a scene where you could identify, you could put yourself in Joseph Mazzello's shoes? Yes, but it, it was weird because, like, a lot of kids around my age that had seen this or, like, er, er, younger were scared. But I was so, like, I, I love dinosaurs so much, it didn't scare me. It, it just, it, I was tense. I was like, I wanted of course I wanted these characters to get out of the situation but it didn't scare me but it had me on my edge on the edge of like my my cousin's bed uh he had like a bunk bed and we had um he had like the Jurassic Park covers already because you know Jurassic Park was everywhere so he had everything Jurassic and I'm sitting there and I'm watching this on this tiny tiny tv and we had turned off the lights to make like it because this was the first time we were going to see this and I was like excited to see this and I was I was a little jealous because he got the VHS before me, and I never understood why that happened. <laughs> but we're sitting there and we're watching this, and like a scene, a scene like this pops up, and it's crazy because you're built up throughout the movie of like these the you don't see them, you hear them at first, and when they're eating the 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 steer, and you're the way Muldoon talks about them and you you know Muldoon's a badass the, the entire time and and the way he's speaking about them it's like this guy fears them mm -hmm. and he's he's like this strong character and you're like well I, you know around Muldoon I think I'd feel safe if I'm in the jungle but this is this is a type of uh situation where these are creatures you don't mess around with and you see the power of the Rex earlier but with these ones, they keep alluding to like, like they're gonna, you don't know, but you'll know later on. Yeah. And it's and once you see like, of course, the the whole scene with Ellie, the first time you see them, you see a little bit of what they can do, mm -hmm. not much. And then when they roll in there into the kitchen, and you think it's one, and then you see the other one pop in. That is that right there is not like like I said, I wasn't scared, but if it was, but if I was. A younger kid, I feel like I would get scared seeing those two walk in there. Oh, yeah. Me, I was already a fan of dinosaurs, so, like, that took over the fear, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's so frightening <laughs> to hear, you know, uh, and we talked about this on Friday, that uh, Ellie says... You know, oh, you know, er, you know, everything's fine unless they can figure out how to open up doors. And yeah. then we see in that minute, not only yes, yeah. have they figured out the simple mechanics of a door handle and then pushing a door open with its head, but then we also find out that they have a form of communication with each other as well, which mm -hmm. Brady alluded to with the you know tapping and stuff like that. And that actually, I think that communication noise, uh, Brady, you were saying earlier yeah, that some of the sounds were um, dolphins that they used for this, uh, yeah. but the actual when the one raptor calls for the other, it's actually a tortoise's mating. <laughs> <laughs> that they used for that. So it's yeah, a, yeah. Wow. The, the sound design in this is so brilliant. And, uh, you know, their use of sound and their use of just silence is fantastic in this minute. And I think it really kind of peaks at the moment when Joseph Mazzello comes around the side and he's trying to hide and you think everything is completely okay. And then that soup ladle 
falls off. You know, it's, it's such a simple little thing. And I think Steven Spielberg, when they were shooting this, it took about two weeks to shoot this. And I think we said this on the show on Friday, but he wanted it to have kind of iconic things that the audience could identify and that, you know, things that they would see in their normal lives, you know, like, so in this kitchen, there's a lot of, I mean, there's like, you know, a meat uh, cutter and stuff like that, that you wouldn't have in a kitchen, but you know, like a soup ladle is something that everybody, just about everybody has, you know, and everybody's going to drop at some point. And it's very easy to put yourself in the situation of, you know, Lex and Tim here at this moment. So uh, some 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 really brilliant stuff going on in here as far as sound design and cinematography as well. The way that the Raptors are moving and kind of like trying to snip at each other and move around each other and kind of use teamwork at the same time. You you get the idea that these are much more intelligent animals than anything we've seen in the movie so far. You know, and speaking of cinematography, they do something really interesting in the sense that we never get a shot from where the Raptors are on their side of these uh, tables. It's always from the kids' perspective. It's usually kids, lower yeah. to the ground. So we're always on the side of the humans. We are never going to be given the chance to be on the side of the raptors. So to, like figuratively and literally, which makes it all the, yeah. you know, it separates us from the kid, excuse me, from the dinosaurs that much more, which makes us feel more alienated and more unsafe. So it's. And I love how like it also like even a little bit before this minute, like how when they first enter, the one is like yelling and then the other one snaps mm-hmm. at it like snaps at its neck and it shows a little bit like, yes, they're intelligent, but they have a savagery towards mm-hmm. them yeah. that they don't even fight each other. It's, it's not like, <laughs> it, so you see that little bit of savageness of a- that animal, that beast yeah. type of, but then they also, right before it, they show the intelligence of like a primate or a dolphin it, when opening the door. Yeah. Whenever they were testing some of the, uh, pretty, was it Phil Tippett's, um, uh, stop motion animation. Yeah. I think this was one of the scenes that they had completed to kind of as a proof of concept to show what the stop action would look like. And there was a moment when the two raptors get together and I think one of them flicks its tongue out like a snake. And yeah. uh, that was shown to some paleontologists that apparently like threw their arms up and were like, okay, th- uh, you guys have taken some liberties here, but that is something that would absolutely definitely it, not happen. It kind of, it, it kind of caused a little drama, I think, but, yeah. you know, but Hey, it's, but that's, yeah. you know, that's the truth. You know, if we want to show these things as they really were, then that's something that would not have happened. That paleontologist was a uh, Jack Horner. Yeah. And uh, yeah, when he saw that, he was he was happy with the movements and everything, and then he saw that tongue flick, and he's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. These are not snakes. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're trying to get them away from that reptilian notion. Like, their skins are still reptilian, and we're trying to make them more birds. And, and like, if you if you, there was, like, scenes when they were talking about, like, certain movements of the dinosaurs. You, there's, a, like, behind the scenes where it's, they're all sitting at a table. There's... Uh, Stan Winston, uh, Steven Spielberg, um, Phil Tippett, and I think Dennis Muren was there too. And Spielberg is telling them like, when the raptor move its neck, moves its neck, I don't want it to go slowly. I want it to go like bird movements mm-hmm. fast. He's like, you ever seen chickens eating and whatever? How they just move their necks real fast to any type of noise. And you see that when like he drops the ladle, they stop everything and they look straight where the noise is at, knowing. That wasn't me. That wasn't you. That's them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, speaking of Phil Tippett and him after, you know, the go motion was let go in favor of CGI, I think one of the best things they could have done with this movie was keeping him on board because he had sort of perfected an understanding of how these things moved and their Mm -hmm. uh, closeness with birds. If you see a bird flying um, like footage of it in slow motion or something, it can turn and do all this other crazy stuff and go 
you know, backwards and forwards, uh, but its head is always stationary. Its head stays in one place. And there are times where you see uh, the raptors moving and their necks are all over the place and their bodies all over the place, but their head is just in one complete place. And that's got to come from Phil Tippett's studying and understanding of the closeness of these things to birds. So, uh, and then to bring him back for Jurassic World was a great move as well. So his, his presence was definitely not lost. It's, it's very much felt in all of these movies. Even the ones he wasn't yeah, a part yeah, of. So, yeah, he knew like animal movements. He he, he doing all the the stop motion that he did. You know, I mean, he had to study uh, so many different ways animals. That's movement. right. He actually did a small short with dinosaurs a long time before Jurassic Park, and I forget what it was called. Uh, Beast, I think it was. I can't remember the name, and it was like a Styracosaurus in the middle of a forest, and it's being chased by a T-Rex within the trees, and the lighting is beautiful, and the T-Rex attacks it from all sides, and it's it's really, really, like, uh, brutal, like, the scenes. I can't remember what's the name of it. Yeah, so he already was work. he already had that interest in dinosaurs, and then to give them, you know, this, it's just like, oh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right, folks, well, we are going to go ahead and get out of here again. Thank you so much to Jay Jurassic for coming on the show. We've had a really great time with you here. And, uh, yeah, we will be back tomorrow. For Jay and for Brady, I'm Kyle. And until next time, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Media. Media.